Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. The title of the second panel is Home is Where the Work Is. And the speakers will be considering issues related to gender equality on the home front. The moderator for this panel is Ms. Eva Aminuddin. Ms. Eva heads the Learning Futures Group at the Civil Service College, Singapore, and is a working mother of two sets of twin boys. Ms. Eva, over to you. Hi, thank you so much. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us today. We're here on the second panel to talk about a very interesting uh, titled uh, panel uh, discussion on home is where the work is. Uh, I'm Eva. Uh, as uh, was mentioned, I'm a mom of two sets of twin boys. I'm a working mother and so I'm so excited and delighted to be part of this panel today and to be exploring uh, this, these issues. Uh, to be honest, when the announcement was made that, you know, that we would go into home-based learning uh, last week, I broke into cold sweat. Uh, I could not sleep the night. Uh, was very scarred by the previous experience during circuit breaker. Uh, thank goodness it's holiday period now and I've escaped to the office uh, and left the work at home, right? <laughs> As we can say that. Um, so, you know, uh, we, in the last conversation, we've explored a little bit around the, the fact that Singaporean women continue to take on the bulk of household and caregiving responsibilities. With the burden of tasks such as cooking, cleaning, childcare, elder care left exclusively uh, to women or shouldering a large uh, a burden, of, uh, burden of those responsibilities. And the responsibilities uh, have been challenging, compounded by the pre-COVID, uh, but it was challenging before for the COVID-19 uh, era and now been compounded by the rise of long-term work from home and home-based uh, learning arrangements during this pandemic. So today we have with us a wonderful panel uh, to explore these issues uh, further. We have Professor Pro uh, Pauline Strawn, Professor of Sociology from SMU, uh, Professor Kalyani Mehta, Professor of Gerontology and Social Work in SUSS, Mr. Benny Bong, uh, President of Society Against Family Violence and the first gentleman panelist uh, today, uh, who will speak, uh, and they will speak on uh, a variety of issues around gender equality uh, related to childcare and housework and caring for the elderly, uh, and as well as violence uh, in the home. We also have with us Minister of State Sun Xueling, who will be uh, discussing uh, on the panel. Uh, hi, uh, panelists, uh, welcome, and thanks so much for joining us today. So to kick off the discussion today with an exploration of the division of labour being observed uh, in homes in Singapore, we have Professor Pauline Strawn, a professor of sociology with uh, research interests around uh, sociology of family and medical sociology. She's also the Dean of Students at Singapore Management University, as well as the Director of Centre for Research on Successful Ageing in SMU. When uh, Professor Pauline was a nominated member of parliament in 2009 to 2011, she advocated for work-life balance and more pro-family social environment. And so I'm really excited to hear your views today, uh, Professor. So uh, I'll pass the time over to you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Eva. And thank you, uh, IPS, for having me. Um, if we could go to the slides immediately, because we only have 10 minutes, so I have to get straight to the point. Uh, my slides, please. Thank you. Uh, next slide. Thank you. Uh, we track the division of domestic labour across three domains of childcare, home care and elder care in various different studies in Singapore. Consistently, the results show that women do more. We do see men have stepped up progressively 
in particular to partner their spouses in the provision of childcare, as you can see on the chart um, findings from the marriage and parenthood surveys. Next slide, please. Interestingly, uh, despite the unequal division of domestic labor, women consistently report that they are happy with the role overload. And I just ran the statistics again yesterday to make sure I'm not wrong here. So in the next 10 minutes or so, I will focus our discussion on two aspects. First, the paradox contentment of wives. And second, the undervaluation of domestic labor. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. Thank you. Sociologists offer several explanations on why women continue to accept the responsibility of domestic work. Women tend to compare our workload with other women, not men. And in particular, we look at the workload of full-time homemakers and we feel that we're not doing as much, right? And of course, to the power of socialization, women embrace gender ideologies which prescribe role differentiation and reinforce beliefs that women are better caregivers and we can manage housework better. Now, that is not true, of course. <laughs> and some also look at the alternatives that are available. And then, you know, we look around and we say, it is what it is, you know, what other options are there? And of course, scholars are also reminding us that, you know, different norms govern marriage and family. So we do what we do for love. Next slide, please. However, it is not so much the gender role differentiation that is contentious. Rather, it is the systematic devaluation of domestic work which, that results in perpetuated gender inequality that requires redress. That domestic labor is rendered invisible is perhaps best explained by the dual sphere ideology. So I've put a quote from Helena Lopata. Uh, the ideology argues that the world we live in is neatly divided into two distinct spheres of paid work and family, which is unpaid labor. And the expectation that there is a domestic manager, so the homemaker perhaps, um, that is present to bridge the two spheres. Next slide, please. This artificial polarity is challenged with the emergence of the dual income family, because now with dual income families, the domestic full-time homemaker is missing. And because of the devaluation of women's domestic work, there is an asymmetric foray into the opposite gender's domain. Women cross over to paid work very happily and willingly, but we don't see as many men who then declare that they're going to be homemakers, right? So as a result of the missing full-time domestic manager, there is a better between career and family demands. And often the, the fights result in marital tension. Further, wives' incomes are often viewed as supplementary to the breadwinner, which is often assumed to be the husband. And as a result of this tension in the two spheres merging, an intermediary area of supplementary labor is created to cushion the gap. And this intermediary 
area is where many female-dominated occupations are situated. And of course, there is a dampening of salaries. I mean, very ironic, right? Many of us rely on the amazing foreign domestic workers to help us manage house and home and work responsibilities. And well, look at their salaries. Next slide, please. So the consequences of devaluation of women's domestic work is extremely detrimental to the stability of society. Often, there is insufficient former support for dual income couples, particularly those with young children. Due to perceptions that it is difficult to manage both work and family commitments, we see many young Singaporeans and young adults globally choose to delay marriage and family formation. As a result, we see a drop in the total fertility rate and Singapore's at 1.1 is the lowest ever. The proportion who are childless by choice, or we affectionately call them dings, or single by choice continue to increase. And we follow these, we track these statistics annually. Next slide, please. What can we do to render visible the important work that is done at home? Through the provisions of maternity and paternity leave, as well as parent leave for childcare, Singapore's pro-family policies have made significant advances in recognizing childcare responsibilities. As we receive an aging population, elder care leave also renders visible the caregiving responsibilities of adult children. These institutional support for childcare and elder care accords formal recognition of our domestic responsibilities as caregivers. And I, I believe MOS will further elaborate on this. Further, many of us on this platform have been arguing and pushing for better work-life balance because it reminds us that we all, regardless of whether you are married or not, whether you are parent or not, we all have responsibilities waiting for us after office hours. Last slide. I think I'm making good time. I can relax a little bit now. In this last slide, I wanted to ponder on the impact of one aspect of COVID-19 pandemic. And Eva has already led us into that conversation, work from home, which results in the blurring of the private space, of our, our private space and the public space of work. What are some of the consequences of this blurring? Uh, well, talk, you know, just, just very preliminary thoughts here. Some positive outcomes is, I think it has, for, for businesses which have succeeded, right, and, and are still surviving, you know, one and a half years into the pandemic, there is a change in organizational culture. So there is a lot less reliance on FaceTime because you can't you know, do that anymore. And as a result, uh, we've promoted trust in, employ in our employees, in our reportees. And in doing so, we have also enhanced interpersonal relations in the work team. So this has been a major accomplishment because 
for years now, when we fought for work-life balance, flexibility at the workplace, you know, the you know the employers would, would say, many of them would say, oh, well, it can't be done. You know, my my office, my workforce, my team is so small. How can I have not have them not in the in the office with me where I can see what's going on? We need to talk to each other. You know, we need to handhold and we need that physical face-to-face presence. Uh, this past one and a half years have proven to us that it can be done. So we should embrace this and we should continue to make it possible to sustain you know, the good practices that we have curated in, in this period of work from home. However, there are also negative uh, consequences, right? The poor blurring, right? The blurring you know, of private and public has resulted for many uh, in poor work-life balance because we just don't know when to stop. Uh, now that you don't have to travel, you feel that, oh, six o'clock is okay, you know, I, I will go on. There's always one more email. With technology, you know, the infusion, the crossover is even more dramatic. But this can be addressed, I think, when we have more realistic KPIs and when we continue to remember that even when we work from home, social relations have to be built upon and we have to remember that we don't call each other only on work-related concerns, but you know, just to have a virtual lunch or, or chit-chat because the stronger the social bonds are, the greater the trust and the more we identify with each other in our work teams, and therefore um, we will step up, right, to cover each other and to make sure that we don't let the ball drop. My very final comment um, is a very important note, you know. Um, I want all of us to remember that not everyone have conducive home environments to facilitate effective work from home. So when we approach our annual appraisers, uh, for all ROs and AOs or supervisors to, to do it, you know, with passion, right? Um, with the understanding, you know, that not everyone can step up and it's not because of, of uh, you know, commitment or, 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 you know, whether they're diligent, but because of difficult circumstances. Because the one thing we learned uh, from our research in this past one and a half years is that COVID-19 has rendered visible a lot of the inequality that we have taken, you know, we have uh, taken that, you know, for granted that, you know, this is just part of life. It is not, right? And there are those who are having a really, really difficult time. So um, as bosses, you know, when you evaluate your colleagues, your team, I hope that we will remember this. Thank you very much, Eva. Thank you very much, Professor. Thanks uh, for the the advice towards the end of your sharing, which reminded me of something that a speaker earlier in the panel, Carrie Tan, had said that uh, understanding uh, is the best uh, currency, that we need understanding and empathy in this time. I also found that the concept that you introduced, uh, the dual sphere ideology and its consequences, uh, illuminating, especially uh, with regards to dual career couples uh, and at the national level, the impact at the national level as well. So thank you so much. Um, to the audience out there, I don't see you, but I know you're there. Uh, if I'm sure that these uh, uh, professor's uh, presentation is triggering some questions or comments for you. I see that on Pigeonhole, there are already some questions coming up. So do please feel free to uh, share more questions. And if, uh, uh, if uh, your question is directed to a certain speaker, it will help for you to just flag that up uh, when you raise your question. Okay, so uh, thanks so much. Uh, now let's uh, move on to our next speaker. Um, 
who will focus a little bit more on the aging and gerontology uh, uh, perspective to this issue of uh, home is where the work is. So our next speaker is Professor Kalyani Mehta, who is a professional social worker and a professor in the gerontology program at the Singapore University of Social Sciences. And she will share a gerontologist's perspective on this issue. Her research interests uh, include policies related to elderly, family caregiving and long-term care and integrated healthcare planning for an aging population. So I'm sure we will uh, hear some rich insights uh, from Professor to kind of help us uh, understand the issues uh, even better. So Professor, can I invite you to take the stage? Uh, Professor Mehta, you might want to unmute. Yeah, great. On uh, onwards to you. Thank you, Eva. I wish to thank IPS for this opportunity to share my views at this uh, IPS Women's Conference on the subject of women's work within the home. It is not regarded as an economic contribution, and uh, I've spent a large part of my career in studying the family caregiving role of women, and in the last 20 years, focusing on seniors. Can I have the next slide, please? The focus of my presentation today is on the following five points, increase in life expectancy of Singapore residents, and particularly the phenomena of feminization of aging. Next, home is where single and married women do major share of caregiving. Elderly women may be caring for spouses and grandchildren. Housework, caregiving, childminding, it is unpaid and undervalued work and my vision for the next decade. Just to make a point that uh, Singapore has uh, the life expectancy at birth reported in 2017 as 84.8 years, according to the Burden of Disease in Singapore report. Next slide, please. This slide summarizes the statistics on the gender ratio. And what is clear is that with increasing age, the ratio of women increases. If you look at 90 years and above, the number of women is double that of men. Now, what are the implications of that? Obviously, more caregiving would be needed for people above 90 years. And we have a lot more centenarians as well in our midst today in Singapore. Next slide, please. As the focus of my presentation is on caregiving done by family members, majority of whom are women, I present a brief summary of selected research done from 2000 to 2000. 2020. The earlier studies, as for example, the South Foundation study on stress and caregiver burden and family caregiving project carried out at NUS, which I was a part of, focused on small scale studies, mostly qualitative methodology. ADA or Alzheimer's Disease Association carried out studies on stress of caregivers of persons with dementia and MCYS did a study called a phase one 
focusing on social isolation, health and lifestyle survey. Now these paved the foundation for the next decade of studies, which were more large scale and quantitative in methodology. The first, the survey on informal caregiving by MCYS, it showed that the female male ratio caregiver was six is to four. That means out of 160 caregivers were female and 40 male, and nearly half of the families depended on a migrant domestic worker. This was the first population-based study, and it showed a lot of insights into the caregiver situation in Singapore. The next one, which is called Science One, was on transitions in health, employment, social engagement, and intergenerational transfers in Singapore, carried out in 2011 by the Center for Aging Research and Education. A qualitative study on informal caregiving was carried out by MCYS and <clears throat> Interestingly, it focused on the intergenerational family relations. For those who are already in caregiving families, you probably know that grandparent caregiving involves the middle generation as well as grandchildren sometimes. Caregiver research brief six, a bibliography of all caregiving research and publications is a very important contribution, I feel. And the last one by AWARE called Making Care Count, a small scale study, however, very insightful on the financial burden that caregivers need to carry when they care for their loved ones. Next slide, please. As my earlier uh, colleague was mentioning that women are often seen as nurturers, they are seen as ideally suited for caregiving, and they make good listeners and homemakers. Emotionally, females are also blessed with high EQ, I feel. But that does not mean that males cannot do a larger share of the caregiving, for example, of parents, or parents-in-law or older siblings. So I have three questions for the audience to ponder upon. The society recognized fully the contributions of women in the home. Next, why is domestic work still not considered an economic contribution? Thirdly, why are women expected to juggle two jobs in the workplace and at home? So what can we do to support the altruistic female caregivers that form the larger composition of caregivers within the family. I also would like to make a note that grandmothers, as you can see in the picture here, a Peranakan lady celebrating her 90th birthday with her great grandson. Grandmothers have been very altruistic in their caregiving journey, often giving up careers, income, as well as sleep in the afternoon, as well as nighttime. So how can we give more support to the 
caregivers in the family. Next slide, please. Now, this slide gives the logical rationale for policymakers to consider more effective strategies to make caregiving less burdensome. Taking a life cost perspective, current cohort of elderly women, 70 years and above, have less education, less savings, and suffer more chronic illnesses than their male counterparts. There is a study by NCSS on quality of life of caregivers above 65 yet to be published. It shows that those who are caregiving have lower quality of life and uh, burden of disease in Singapore report shows that Singaporeans, especially women, will spend more years in poor health despite the gains in life expectancy. Lastly, the informal caregiving survey highlighted that caregivers were likely to have their savings depleted and particularly spousal caregivers since we are having longer life expectancy. They suffer negative effects of caregiving and these include depression. So next slides, please. Going forward, how can we create a more egalitarian distribution of housework and caregiving tasks in our home? Next slide, please. I would say that our society needs a mind shift in mindset. How can we create a more egalitarian society from patriarchal to egalitarian? As the COVID-19 has demonstrated, housework never ends. So we need more hands, which will then lead to less stress. For women to stay employed and to look after two generations, the old and the young, means that they are doing, doing two jobs, which will have effect on health, particularly mental health. And women will need to be supported well through the next five years at least, so that they will not leave the labor force due to caregiving tasks. And this will prevent them from becoming dependent. So I want to ask you, why are caregiving grants mostly tapped by women, even though the criteria are not gender-based? Is it because the majority of caregivers are females? Or is there a stigma for males to apply for caregiving grants? Perhaps policymakers need to look into this. Socialization of sons and daughters. For me, it's very important that we treat sons and daughters in a gender-neutral way and train them to be prepared for life so that when the situation demands, they can be flexible in executing functions like cooking, cleaning. Housework and caregiving should be seen as a way to show love for family rather than a lowly job. Hiring a migrant domestic worker unfortunately has reinforced this attitude. Next slide. So for policymakers to be future ready, we need to embrace the care economy as infrastructure. The COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted the importance of being flexible and extending care and compassion to those in our midst. 
However, I would add a caveat that to be a caregiver during the pandemic has been really challenging. The future care economy is intrinsically connected with how we deal with this crisis and how the psychosocial impact of crisis is cushioned by human capital rallying together. For example, in volunteerism, can our policies be made more consistent? Can they be reframed to look at family caregiving as important work and not just family caring for each other? So can we afford more respite care, more paid parental leave? Many of the family caregivers are female spouses who are elderly. To look at seniors as our nation's assets, a growing manpower to be tapped skillfully by policymakers. So now we need more policies that are targeted at caregivers in future. Next slide, please. My vision for the next decade, can we have annual paid elder care leave, at least three days to be made mandatory for all organizations. Currently, it is offered only in some organizations. Family caregivers, especially senior female caregivers, and those from low-income groups to be provided much more affordable support in recognition of their sacrifices and for Singapore society to grow past COVID-19. Radical changes are needed in the eradication of ageism and gender biases. The next generation of baby boomer females will be educated and talented. So ageism towards women seeking employment after fulfilling their caregiving needs should be disparaged. Merit and potential should be the criteria. Gender bias, whether at home, at the workplace, <clears throat> in school curriculum, hiring and firing practices, at all levels, I feel we need to aim at gender bias to be removed from Singapore society. Next slide, please. The next two slides. Uh, references for those who are interested for the talk and uh, my 13th slide. Can we move to the 13th slide, please? Thank you very much for your patience. Thank you very much, Professor Kalyani Mehta. I really appreciated how you, I think, drew our attention to the challenges of not just uh, that young women face in terms of managing uh, the challenges of work and home, domestic uh, responsibilities, etc., but also the challenges that senior uh, women face as well. Um, you posed several questions uh, for the audience, and so I do encourage the audience uh, uh, to use the pigeonhole to share your own thoughts, uh, what your responses might be to the questions. And in this conversation today, we're also interested in what we can do, and the speakers have already been sharing some of their thoughts about uh, what we can do as a society to move forward. So uh, for our audience out there, if you have some ideas or some responses to the ideas that the speakers have uh, proposed, please do uh, share your thoughts with us on Pigeonhole. 
Uh, all right. Now, uh, I, I should not uh, take up more time. We still have two more speakers to go. And uh, next up, we have Mr. Uh, Benny Bong, as I said, the first gentleman speaker on our program today and the president of the Society Against uh, Family Violence, which is a non-profit organization that does research, provides public education and conducts training to those providing assistance to victims of violence and uh, treatments to perpetrators. Um, I, I won't say any more about um, um, Mr. Uh, Bong, but he, uh, he'll introduce himself a little bit, but um, I think Benny will be talking to us about you know, what might happen uh, and what he is seeing happening when tensions come to a head or crisis point in homes, especially during this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Benny, if you're ready, over to you. Right, thank you. Well, I, I want to thank uh, Eva for that very kind introduction and also to uh, IPS for this uh, invitation. Uh, the society is in its 30th year and um, you know we are very pleased to be able to provide help to individuals and families going through difficulties in their relationship. Um, my, my first slide is a title slide and, and, and I just like to get to that because when I first saw it, uh, I thought um, there was an error. Um, because home is where the work is. And, and I thought, is there some, some mistake? I, and, and I realized that probably the, the word I was thinking about is home is where, you know, the fun is, <laughs> the heart, uh, the love is. Um, and, and, you know, in fact, the, the, the late Elvis Presley in 1962 actually had a song, uh, Home is Where the Heart Is. Um, which was interesting because it got me thinking about the word juxtaposition. Two contrasting ideas almost at, in, at war with each other, clashing with each other. And the next slide shows a few juxtaposition of words. You know. uh, in the slide two, the first juxtaposition was between, again, the, work, uh, the words work and home. And, and when we think about the, the word home, we always associate it with rest. Well, at least as a man, I, I should say, we always think of going back from after a hard day's work to go back and rest, not to work. Um, and when we think about work, in, in many men's ideas, the, work, the word work is associated with the word toil. Um, you know, work comes with the ideas of competition, conflict. Uh, whereas the idea of home comes with being in a complementary, harmonious relationship. So very interesting to have these two words coming together. Then the second juxtaposition is the word violence and human family relationship. Because uh, when we think of violence, we think of hurt. And when we think about human relationship, we don't think about that. Uh, it's, it's very sad to see how a young couple who years later, even after they pledge undying love, are at each other's throats, you know, wanting to kill each other. Um, then comes the word gender equality. And, and as the theme of this conference is, we think of the word inequality. Uh, we see inequality in terms of many areas, especially our focus in this uh, panel is inequality of work in the home. The next slide looks at how this juxtaposition 
has been brought to the fore during this set of circumstances, which is almost like conditions for a perfect storm. Prior to this, prior, prior to COVID-19, there was already an, a, a situation where women more than men were the victims of domestic violence. But with COVID-19, with the pandemic, we saw an increase worldwide and also sadly in Singapore, an increase in more women experiencing violence in the home. 37% increase as reported by family violence specialist centers and by the police, a 25% increase. So we're not absolved from this. So with the pandemic came other forms of storms in relationship. The next slide. The storms that we experience show in contrast the, the contrast between the progress we are making as a nation of economic progress, of development, of gender equality, and yet at the same time, the contrast of the violence that women are experiencing. So the question that came to my mind is, why is there this persistence and even the increase in family violence in the home during these times? Yeah, And the next slide, shows the usual suspects. Whenever we think about violence in a community, in a society, we think, is there an absence of the policy? Are there absence in laws, in rules, governing that nation? Are the police inactive? And so, you know, I, I, for those of you who were, you know, very, very able to attend the, the first uh, opening speech by the president, uh, she covered a number of points that, that, I, that I would uh, also be making, so I will uh, just glance over it very quickly. In terms of policy, well, Singapore, I must say, we have, as an, a clear example, our commitment to CEDAW. Uh, this is the Convention on the Elimination of you know, um, Gender-Based Violence or Discrimination Against Women, CEDAW. So way back when the UN created this convention in 97, Singapore was one of the nations that acceded to it in 5th of October 1995. And since then, as every signatory country would be obliged to do, is that it constantly monitors all of the indicators of any gender discrimination from employment to education to equal pay. So of course, we are not there yet. We are, we are constantly having to go back and make some uh, report. And you, you'll be pleased to know that we have just the government report. We also have a shadow report by the nonprofit organizations to respond to some of these indicators. When it comes to the laws, uh, Singapore was unique. This is our 60th anniversary of the Women's Charter. Uh, and it's a very innovative piece of legislation. And it continues to be updated. And that's the wonderful thing about the Women's Charter. Uh, sadly, it, it's called the Women's Charter. And, and I shouldn't say sadly, but I say sadly it's called the Women's Charter because sadly, many men feel that it discriminates men. <laughs> Uh, so uh, men are not discriminated. It is gender neutral, uh, the provisions of the Women's Charter. Then when we come to law enforcement, uh, the Society Against Family Violence in uh, 2010, we did a, a survey, International Violence Against Women survey, and we found that 76% of the respondents reported that when they experienced violence, 
they were very satisfied. They were satisfied with the response of the police. And the police force in Singapore continues to receive training on a regular basis on how they can be better, uh, not just more efficient, but more compassionate uh, in their response. So we have three areas that I think we have done well, but one area still stands out, and that is the societal value, societal perspective. So in thinking about this conference, the roadmap uh, to development, uh, what can we see with regards to this uh, lack of development in this area? Well, you know, men's views about their roles tend to be still unchanged. Uh, when men are involved in some form of uh, housework, they tend to see it as, you know, a, a, a mark of their contribution. Uh, it, it don't, they don't see it as part of their responsibility. It's something I've done extra, uh, extra from the work that I do outside. Uh, the idea about their role needs to change from one where they relate to their, their spouses as a servant to one of a partner. Uh, from moving away from the men's preference to have this idea of segregation, compartmentalization, to one of harmonizing. And then to challenge some of the concepts of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Topics which I'm very pleased to see the third panel will spend uh, a bit more time in. Um, and then when we think about the next slide, uh, if I may, uh, we are already two slides behind. <laughs> oh, I forgot to tell you. Um, perhaps the next slide, we see also that when we think about... Um, uh, one more slide ahead, I think. Uh, men's views about the home. We, we need to help men to challenge this strict division of seeing work at home as something very different from them, very set apart from them. Um, with, again, we keep on seeing this term work from home. A number of things has happened. And, you know, what this man, means is that men have to be more involved in part of what's going on at home. Uh, in, if, if you were present at the first panel, you, you would have heard a very interesting exchange, uh, a question asked by uh, an observer, a DT, uh, who said that maybe men don't have the skills, you know, the, the, it's, it's the lack of skills that's preventing men from being involved in the home. And there was a, a, a very... Um, uh, excited, passionate debate amongst the speakers, you know, uh, with regards to this topic. And, and as I listened to it, I, I realized that, hey, you know, many of the speakers did agree that men seem to be ill-equipped uh, to their work at home. And, and so this is something uh, perhaps we could look at. And then the next slide, the road to development. Yeah. Maybe what we can be thinking about is how do we address men's association with work. Yeah? Because men view work as something that is, at least, you know, work at home as something that does not belong to them. It's separated from them. Uh, and again, many men feel that somehow they are not adequately prepared. Uh, they, they, they almost say that, well, you know, women does a better job and, and therefore I don't want to be involved in an area where I only mess things up. You know, many, many men, and, and I would say, and many of us human beings, we love to be feeling adequate, successful. And if they are in an area of 
work where they are not successful, they tend to shy away from that. At the same time, as we want men to step up and step into the home environment, we also need to make sure that the women at home allow for men to take on some of these roles. And again, this morning's discussion amongst the first panel where many of them said, yes, you know, sometimes we need to learn how to trust the men, that they may have different standards of housekeeping, cleanliness, uh, you know, response time. Uh, and and uh, wow, I, I, I can identify with many of these uh, criticisms. Well, you know, uh, but it's a give and take. It's, it's how do we allow for men to take on more roles and to find their competence, their confidence in it. My next slide has to do with how do we change some of the values, some of our thinking with respect to privileging efficiency over harmony. So some things may not be done as quickly or as well, but perhaps it's more important for the harmony in the home, the togetherness in the home. That's more important than just meeting some particular standard. Harmony versus that is based on respect versus empowerment of others uh, and controlling others. We need to think about that, to think about those changes that's important. Yeah. Then I, I had one, one thought, you know, about how do we get these changes done? Who should be involved? The next slide uh, addresses the question, who else should we involved to take the lead in shaping societal values. Yeah. There was some discussion also in the first panel about schools. Should schools take the lead? Um, and, you know, it's, sometimes that may happen. But sometimes we, 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 think, we tend to think that the, there's too much top-down uh, influence. Uh, so could change be also from the bottom? Could, for example religious institutions be involved in looking at the values and 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 why not because most religious institutions have a strong position with regards to how humanity how families should operate yeah and then um, finally we need to also think about civil society and i can think of two um off my head, uh, Center for Fathering certainly is one of the speakers who will be present, and also the kindness movement. Yeah. Last but not least, the media. And my next slide gives you one example of the involvement of a media. This came out about two weeks ago. And on the right-hand side, you see an uh, ad about, you know, working from home. And guess what? It's the mother, you know, who has to manage the schooling of the kids. And interestingly enough, on the same day, there was another article about how in Thailand they have taken on board this old folklore and changed it to give it a modern twist where it involves more involvement, egalitarian relationship between men and women. My final slide is an appeal and a statement of hope. I think gender equality should be a hallmark of any evolve, we like to think of ourselves as you know very blessed, very uh, able to, to do very well, but it, this area shouldn't be an area of lack. It's time to catch up with that. And last is, 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 a, is a quote here. Um, 
from Mirachan. Uh, she says, transformation is what the world needs now. Uh, and she was talking about COVID yeah, and, and what the world needs. But it sits very much aligned with what we're talking about. It's what the world needs now in this historical time. And in spite of everything, thankfully, there are many who are working towards that. And ladies and gentlemen, I think some of the many are present here in this conference, and we are happy to have your presence here. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Benny, uh, for your insights and bringing in the male kind of uh, perspective and view of some of these issues. I'm seeing in the pigeonhole conversation that it's sparking off some comments around, uh, you know, what does equality look like? What do we want out of equality? And I think this is a question that we can explore a bit further uh, later on in the panel discussion. All right. Um, this conversation is getting very interesting and I'm really looking towards our last uh, discussant MOS Sun Shuling to kind of pull all these together and share her insights. Um, so we have with us MOS uh, Sun Shuling, Minister of State, Ministry of Education and Ministry of Social and Family Development. Uh, MOS co-chairs the National Review on Singapore's Women Development and the Task Force on Family Violence. She's also advisor to the Youth Mental Wellbeing Network and a member of the COVID-19 Mental Wellness Task Force. So we're really looking to you to, sh to uh, share with us your, your insights and how you are viewing it, uh, I think, from where you sit in these uh, um, committees. Thank you. Uh, MOS, over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Eva. I was uh, listening intently to the sharing from uh, Professor Pauline, from Dr. Kalyani, as well as uh, Mr. Benny Bong. Um, thank you to all panelists um, for your very insightful sharings. I hear, understand, and fully appreciate what you say about women doing more work at home than their husbands, how women feel about it, and how caregivers, who are mostly women, may not have enough for themselves eventually if they were to leave the workforce prematurely because of caregiving responsibilities, and how we may also need to consider the role of men for us to chart a path forward together towards a more sustainable and a happier work-life balance for both women and men. I'd like to go to my first slide now. My comments are thus framed around how we may support both genders to achieve real choices, and I hope that this can be done through synergistic partnerships. Next slide. Our starting point is that family is a basic building block of our society where children are nurtured and where their values are first shaped. The government launched the Conversations on Singapore Women's Development last year to better understand Singaporeans' aspirations for Singapore women and the role that society can also play in the process. Issues such as the sharing of domestic responsibilities, caregiving, family violence were raised during the more than 100 conversations we've had so far, and they are interlinked to other domains such as workplaces and the community. Earlier, Dr. Professor Pauline had mentioned the dual sphere ideology, which locks the genders into an artificial polarity which restricts the choices of both women and men into suboptimal outcomes. I would like to say that for many women now, many who are in dual income households, home and work, home and work actually blends into a continuous sphere rather than dual sphere. Not because the blend itself is seamless, 
But because home and work take up so much time, really, right, that there is nothing in between, you know, there's hardly any time for anything else. So I guess the question for us now is how do we support and enable women and the men in their lives so that the women do not find themselves asking themselves, why is life so hard? Why is life so unfair? How, how do we enable real choices for them so that they do not feel this way? I'd like to suggest looking at three Cs to enable women to achieve real choices and to create opportunities for partnership. The three Cs are communication, capabilities, and culture. The first C is communication. Each family, as we know, is unique, and there is no one-size-fits-all approach. But it is useful for family members to have an open, respectful discussion about their respective strengths and preferences, and how to best share domestic responsibilities between them and to work together for their family's future. Next slide. We should think of women and men's roles more as a partnership. Company, uh, couples should share responsibilities at home and support one another to advance their careers in the workplace. They may also exercise their choice on whether both parents should work or one should be a stay-at-home parent. And these are choices that are unique to each and every couple and family. But the foundation has to be that they are communicating with each other so that the family relationship is a sustainable one and each person, husband or wife, feels supported and appreciated for the choices that they have made. In one of the conversations that I had, a male participant shared how, when they had children, he and his wife sat down and discussed who should do what based on their different strengths. They eventually decided that the male participant should stay at home and look after their children and his wife work. And the participants shared that this was a happy arrangement, which had served them well until their children grew up. I know that this is a more unusual arrangement, but it can exist. And for it to exist, there must first and foremost be communications. Another example of another male participant in one of our more than 100 conversations was that his wife actually purposely chooses at times to take a step back at home so that he can do more. Not because she cannot sort out matters at home, but because she wanted to give him the opportunity to spend more time with his children, to do more, to contribute more at home, and he's grateful to her for it. Next slide, please. But both men and women would need to be equipped with the skills and knowledge for a more balanced partnership. And this brings me to the next C, capabilities. Mr. Bong shared that men may not feel confident in performing domestic tasks well independently. Uh, this may lead to stress for uh, the male individual and can also potentially lead to conflict at home. Uh, male participants in our conversations had also shared that they had not been taught to perform domestic tasks when they are younger. And that I think similar to what was shared earlier in the earlier panel, uh, when men have such skills more enabled at home, I think they can feel more confident and ready to take on more responsibilities at home. So to develop such capabilities in our men, actually families have a part to play. As Dr. Meta suggested, families need to treat their boys and girls equally and also to teach all their children how to do domestic tasks. In the revised CCE curriculum launched by MOE, 
2021, boys and girls are taught to have positive attitudes towards family roles and not to have preconceived notions on gender stereotypes, which can impact their views on the role a father or a mother should play. And there are also various community partners who run programs and campaigns which promote active fathering and shared parenting responsibilities. They also build networks of fathers who can learn from one another. Families for Life offers evidence-based parenting programs. Mr. Brian Tan is the CEO of Center of Fathering, and I understand that he's going to be a panelist on the next panel. Uh, he shows us that fathers can play an active role in the family if they have the right skills. And Mr. Tan actually joined the Center of Fathering himself to better equip himself to be a more involved father and to be held accountable by other men in the community as a father and a husband to his family. And today he is a role model to many other fathers and credits his wife for supporting him and giving him space to develop as a father. And for our women, financial independence can help equalize the balance of power within the home. In addition to our policies to encourage female employment, there are also programs to help women develop financial skills, financial literacy skills. So equipping our women and our men with the requisite skills and capabilities can help to reduce family tension and potentially violence, even as we regularly review our laws and policies pertaining to the protection of women. Next slide. Another important part of capability is the support which families can rely on. Family caregivers are often the first line of support for many loved ones as we value our families as a society. And for many Singaporeans, we are proud to be an Asian society where children feel an innate sense of responsibility to care for their elderly parents. However, we understand that caregiving and other domestic responsibilities may be challenging, even with all family members putting in effort and making sacrifices for their loved ones. So the government thus has various measures to support caregivers in carrying out their duties for their loved ones. I'd like to share a few examples. Next slide. Our parental leave policies and promotion of work-life harmony provides couples with time for their families and also gives them flexibility to manage their family and work responsibilities. Next slide. We have enhanced access to affordable and quality childcare and elder care services so that caregivers have good alternative care options should they need to work or take a break. To better support the needs of caregivers or, or seniors, the MOH actually launched the Caregiver Support Action Plan in 2019. You see here the various limbs of it. It covers a few key pillars of caregiver support, including strengthening financial support through the Home Caregiving Grant and expanding the range of respite care services. Our support for caregivers is also reflected in our support for caregiving recipients because when seniors in our pioneer and Medaca generations receive subsidies for outpatient care and medical life premiums and other benefits, this actually eases the financial strains that caregivers face. Next slide. Low-income families and certain groups may also face exceptional challenges so the government provides additional support. Comcare schemes provide social assistance and the silver support scheme supplements the incomes of seniors who have had lower incomes over their lifetimes and have less retirement support. The community is also an important source of support for families. For example, under the Caregiver Support Action Plan, 
we launched the caregiver support networks across dementia-friendly communities for caregivers and their loved ones to stay active and connect with other caregivers for socio-emotional support. Next slide. The last C I want to talk about is culture. External factors can hinder family members from having real choices. For example, gender stereotypes may hinder stable fathers from, and they may experience stigma from society, family members and friends, and an intense work culture may prevent couples from devoting enough time to the family. To give women and men more choices, they must not feel that they are boxed into certain roles. There must be a supportive environment for them to play their roles of choice at home and in the workplace. To achieve this, the principles of equality and respect between men and women must be ingrained in our society. And there must be a whole of society mindset shift away from gender stereotypes. This is also something that Mr. Benny Wong spoke about. Our schools play an important role in shaping social norms for our young minds today. Our students are encouraged to explore a variety of career pathways, regardless of whether they are boys or girls. And they also learn to appreciate the equity of parenting roles. And we have seen encouraging signs of mindset shifts at home, in workplaces, and in the community. Men are increasingly become active fathers at home. More workplaces are providing flexible workplace arrangements. Earlier, I mentioned also about various committee organizations who support women and men in their multifaceted roles. Next slide. The Ministry of Social and Family Development has dedicated 2021 as the year of celebrating SG Women. But it's not just about women. It's also about forming partnerships with men. Because only when we have a close partnership between men and women, that we can forge even stronger, greater paths ahead for the women. This panel's title is Home is Where the Work Is. But I much prefer Elvis's original phrase, Home is Where the Heart Is. So domestic responsibilities and caregiving may be difficult at times, but they are ways to show love for our families. So let us continue to work together. And I actually wanted to end off with one line I had in my previous slide, which was that I'd like to propose that the greatest reward and recognition to the caregiver, and this applies to both men and women, is the respect and love that your family gives you. And that is for the labour of love that you have given to your family. Thank you. Thanks very much, uh, MOS. Um, I think we should just jump straight into the conversation and dialogue. We have till 1pm, uh, so that doesn't give us much time. And there are about 60 questions already on pigeonhole. Um, so I know for the audience out there that uh, there's a voting mechanism, but um, I'll ask a few questions that I think are um, foundational to, I think, the conversation and uh, are important to address. The first one is uh, to... Uh, Professor Pauline, it, it was around, uh, and this is a question that was raised, raised by BX uh, Ong, around your comment about the paradox uh, of uh, the fact that women are reporting uh, contentment, right? And this was also a conversation that um, Professor Jessica earlier in the day had brought up in terms of the fact that she said that the, uh, the trends are shifting in terms of gender role, but not shifting very quickly. So um, perhaps you can Tell us a bit more about this paradox and what you think is going on there. Mm. I, I do think that for, 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 for many women, the ability to care for their children 
right, and to care for their their family in general, is something that um, helps them to valorize their role in the family, and that's why they do it quite happily and willingly. So, so again, you know, the reinforcement that. It is not so much that there are gender role ideologies that differentiate what men are and what women are. We are born differently, you know. So equality is not about forcing us into this agender body with, you know, all of us like robots, you know, aiming for the same kind of, you know, undifferentiated aspirations and goals. But the problem really comes when we are not appreciated for what we do at home. And we are punished for what we do at home because then at the workplace, employers look at, you know, what you can contribute, you know, to, to the KPIs at work and then the differential in rewards, right? So no, we, you know, homework is not paid work. It is not, and it cannot be, right? I, I can't imagine a society that has to, you know, go down to that level. But I think what I'm pushing for is really, you know, to look beyond economic returns, Right? when we try to valorize each other, but go back to you know, good old-fashioned you know, values and appreciation and you know, where we learn how to, I think, valorize you know, in our social sphere, respect. Right? When I see a student and I say, you know, what does your mom do? And they say, oh, my mom is a homemaker. I say, oh, my goodness. You know, oh, I, I take my hat off to her. Please go home and tell her that she is an amazing woman because they are so few and far between. All right? Thank you. Thanks very much, Professor. Would any of the other uh, panelists like to chime in on on this, on um, how you are seeing women kind of show up and and the valorizing of that role that they play? Um, Eva, yeah. Yes. Uh, I think it also, um, you know, the last sentence I mentioned, which is really about caregivers. Um, them recognizing that their label of love for their family is translated actually into respect and love that their family members have for them. And I think that for many caregivers, that is extremely important because when you caregive for an elderly person or a young child, you know, I think if that caregiver were to be spending every minute while caregiving saying that I ought to be paid for this, you know, um, that no one's appreciating me for this, then I think it's an extremely painful process. Mm. And that's why I think it comes back to what Professor Pauline says. You know? It's about the respect that society gives to caregivers. It's about the respect and love that family members give to caregivers. I think that is the most important and critical bit of it. Can I just chime in here? Um, I also think that at the workplace, there's not enough uh, recognition that some of our colleagues are uh, doing a lot of caregiving at home. And um, sometimes they may need more leave or they may need emergency leave. So for colleagues to also be a little bit more considerate and understanding that um, this is a special situation, particularly in COVID. A lot of seniors have had falls in the home uh, maybe they're mentally stressed. So I think workplace also requires bosses, colleagues, ROs to understand 
when uh, caregiving uh, duties demand some uh, flexibility. And I've talked to caregivers who say that I feel very upset when my boss tells me that why are you late so often in the morning? And she says, my mother has dementia and sometimes I have to cope with her in the morning. So I think the workplace also uh, could have uh, some uh, better understanding of uh, colleagues. On yes. that note, uh, sorry, go ahead. I, I just wanted to add, as, as a, sorry, as a man <laughs> attempting to do this question, um, I, I think sadly, I think a number of women feel that to show love involves sacrifice. And, and I think that's true. You know, uh, it, 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 you, you go the extra mile. And, and sadly, with that comes the, the, the sense of guilt that if I put my needs above my children, then am I being a good enough mother? Um, so somehow society has ingrained in women that their lives don't count unless they sacrifice it. Um, sadly, men may not have the same kind of in, ingrained idea or we think we, we should sacrifice ourselves on the altar of the work, but not at the home. Um, so this, this value uh, difference, I think, is something we should also think about. Yeah. Can I jump also, in here? Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you know, Benny, right, the work at home, mm. is, I don't think it's really about sacrifice. The work just has to be done. I, mm. I'm not sacrificing myself, you know, when I have to attend to a sick child. The child is sick and going, where, 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 right? So the work is real. So, so uh, not not disrespecting mm. what you say, but I do think that the practical, con- you know, the practical mm. kind of help that women need or, and men, you know, if they are if they are managing the home, you know, are the ones that are really appreciated. So part of that valorization includes recognition, right? That there are only twenty four hours in a day, and I need to sleep at least six hours. So if I have eight hours in the office, then how many hours do I have left to attend to my work at home and where those hours are also makes a difference whether I still have energy or I don't have energy, right? So that, that mutual respect, you know, that we have for each other, that uh, we are living in two worlds that are intertwined, right? The duosphere ideology is a fake one, right? Duosphere ideology was, you know, um, uh, positioned by capitalists, you know, who, who wants to take advantage, right, of paid labor. So we should forget about those and, and talk practically about how do we encourage each other on so that if we want to hold on to these multiple roles, what support do we need to give to, to each other, right? But also, I think very important to also recognize that there's some of us who may not want to have these multiple roles and then not to add value, you know, like devalue their role either. So for example, if, you know, there are, you know I, and I'm sorry to say this, uh, MOS, uh, but there are those who may not want to have children. And there are those who may feel that, you know, I'm quite happy where I am. And if I don't, if I don't find a lifelong partner, it's okay. You know, I'm happy. I have friends and all. And we should just say, okay, like, like, like what you say, MOS, to each his own. And as a caring nation, you know, we, we respect all these aspirations and we support to the best of our ability. Of course, we, we nudge a little when it comes to, you know, uh, family formation, because we do need to ensure that, you know, 100 years from now, Singaporeans is not an archived word. Um, but in doing so, 
I think, very respectful of the fact that, you know, many Singaporeans, it's not their fault, right? They have chosen alternative pathways. Um, and so to continue to respect those pathways. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I, I wanted to uh, come back um, to an earlier point. I think the panelists had used um, terms, for example, that uh, caregiving is unpaid, undervalued work. I think when we look at it, obviously in economic terms, then yes, technically, economically, it is unpaid and it's undervalued. Undervalued simply because it's unpaid. You know? But if you look at it from another lens, is it truly undervalued from a societal, emotional, psychological standpoint? I think just now in our discussions, uh, Professor Pauline had talked about respect and recognition. This is also something that uh, I've been trying to emphasize uh, in my comments, you know, that the greatest reward to a caregiver is that reward and is that respect and recognition from your family members and society can also provide that. So I hope that we can change the lens at which we look at caregiving. I also wanted to come to an important point that uh, actually Dr. Kalyani mentioned earlier, which is about the importance of flexible workplace arrangements. I think that's very helpful, very critical, in fact, uh, for caregivers. Uh, especially caregivers who are still working, you know, to be able to effectively juggle um, both uh, work as well as their caregiving responsibilities. And also for women who may have taken time off from work to look after their loved ones, but who may want to go back to work again, you know, to make sure that they have uh, enough for themselves, you know, to ensure their own financial uh, adequacy. And the government also has various initiatives to support uh, back-to-work women. We have, for example, uh, Workforce Singapore's uh, programs such as a career trial, um, so on and so forth. So I think uh, Dr. Kalyani actually made a very important point about flexible workplace arrangements. Um, thanks so much. Uh, I mean, this conversation is riveting and I want to uh, kind of pick up on the economic and the pay aspect of it because there were some questions, uh, for example, by Lei Hui Yo on whether we should pay women for domestic work and caregiving work. And there was also another interesting comment around how might we at the system or national level uh, recognize the contribution that caregiving and domestic work might actually contribute right to the economy so this question of whether do you need a different KPI not just GDP right is there another way of measuring that uh, contribution I'm not economist uh, but uh, at all so I was wondering whether um, anyone had had thoughts about this I know, Professor, um, Professor Kalyani, maybe you can chime in because I know you've talked about how well we might not want, uh, we might need to support uh, caregivers, uh, especially in the lower income, a little bit more. Uh, would you like to share your thoughts on that? Thank you, Eva. Um, I've been uh, pondering on this for a long time because uh, when I raised uh, ideas like, for example, caregiver allowance or uh, things that are being done in other developed countries. I've always faced resistance uh, to this idea that uh, paying for caregiving would reduce the filial piety value in our families. So that's the fear uh, that that might happen and we don't want to go down that route. However, we know that many caregivers shift from full-time to part-time work. And then from part-time, they give up totally because uh, 
they find that the parent is unable to cope anymore and uh, they've had uh, maybe a very difficult time with uh, caregivers uh, who are paid. So what I feel is maybe things like time banking is one way by which caregivers could perhaps have a, a, a schedule whereby uh, they help each other uh, and it's in terms of hours but actually it becomes a kind of a currency that caregivers can give to each other for a respite. Uh, I hope the audience uh, is familiar with this uh, term called uh, time banking whereby many countries have introduced this for caregivers, for volunteers, so that you pay forward. And there is some kind of a record, uh, maybe a database, so that when you need help from somebody else, you actually can approach the time bank to get that help for you. So the currency is not dollars and cents, but it's actually time and a need. According to the need, you can... Uh, feel uh, comfortable to ask for help without feeling that you're depending on anybody else or any organization. So I thought that idea might uh, be something that we want to uh, push forward in Singapore, especially because we are an aging nation. Thanks, Professor Kalyani. Uh, Professor Pauline, I know you started off saying, you know, it's not about the money, it's about the appreciation. So I wonder what you uh, thought about this. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Eva. And I think Kalyani has a brilliant idea that we shouldn't uh, let drop, right? So, so we run uh, ROSA at SMU, which is um, the Centre for Research on Successful Aging. And we have been looking into this with the Singapore Life Panel, right, to see what are the triggers for well, you know, the downslide in well-being, and what are the resources um, that uh, older Singaporeans look towards to help uplift uh, well-being? You know, even as they, you know, uh, you know, go through the challenges of, you know, third age and then finally fourth age. And an important consideration really is the amazing resource that we have in our post-65ers, right? Because these are our uh, amazing retirees who are no longer. Uh, active, full-time active, you know, in, in paid work. Um, they, they, but they are, they are healthy, they are able, and they are, you know, the repository of amazing resource. So I think for government, um, so glad that MOS is here because she represents government, right? For government to, um, it would be more innovative in our limited resources, right? I think everybody appreciates, you know, um, reprieve through, you know, subsidies, uh, you know, vouchers and, and, and so forth. But it's not sustainable, right? Because, you know, you give out $600, but after six months, it's gone. Then, then what next, right? You can't be, you know, constantly, you know, just patching that way. So one way is to invest, I think, in a built-up environment, right? Invest in elder-centered, uh, you know, kind of living spaces. And there's quite a few of these neighborhoods already that we have. Build up the infrastructure so like Carly say you know when we have volunteers who are encouraged to just you know be able to you know press a button to say hey I, I am free right um and and I'm well and I'm very happy to do this and of course what we do is we valorize their contribution right we give them nice names okay we say you know they're ambassadors you know? and 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 we we respect you know their contribution to to the community um and then we have then a self-help situation where the young old who are capable, able, and well-resourced can be an amazing uh, you know, resource for those who will need 
assistance because they're living with disabilities, right? And, you know, expand the appreciation of family beyond just blood ties, right? You're, you're, you know, you're a very good extended family member is your neighbor. You get along well with your neighbor. The neighbor is the first responder if you need anything, right? So I think in short, to build up the construct of social capital in our neighborhoods, uh, I think if, if government could, you know, continue to, 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 to work very hard with the VWO's amazing VWO on the ground, right, to build up neighbourhoods so that neighbourhoods can step up, right, to look out for each other and, and for government resources to go into the infrastructure. Um, that would be, a, you know, one, one of my wish, you know, wish, wish dream, uh, aspirations for Singapore in the next 50 years. Because I'm going to go, go into that, you know, that, that age where... At some point, I will retire and I want to look forward to retirement, not be scared of retirement, right? Not be worried that I don't have a, oh, don't have a title, don't have a job and so forth, but to look forward to retirement because I can look forward to the next set of roles and responsibilities that I may have to give back to the community and to my country, right? Thank you, Professor Pauline. Actually, I think, um, you know, we have a meeting of minds. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. Uh, that we should pay attention uh, to the infrastructure of support for our caregivers. Earlier, I had a slide. It was slide 10, but I, I don't know whether or not uh, we're able to pull it up again. But there are actually five limbs uh, to our caregiver support. So one limb is obviously financial support. Key items in that limb are home caregiving grant, caregivers training grant, uh, seniors mobility enabling fund, um, so we do try to help with defray expenses uh, for caregivers. So uh, despite what I say about respect and recognition, all that's very important, but we know, we recognize that caregivers need support. And on this page, I try to lay out the five limbs in which we try to support our caregivers. So the first part of financial support I have um, dealt briefly with. Just now, Professor Pauline was talking about the infrastructure bit of it. And we're totally on the same page. And I think we're going to invest more uh, in that area because demographics-wise, we have an increasingly aging population. So for instance, uh, community care services, there has been an additional 4,600 daycare places and 3,100 home care places for homebound seniors since 2015. Uh, we're looking at more elder care centers uh, and also uh, nursing homes. We're running some pilots uh, for night and home-based uh, respite uh, pilots. And we're also trying to empower the community. I, I think that's actually very, very central to this. Professor Pauline has spoken about, you know, this. Um, nowadays, we don't just call our, our senior residents seniors. You know, A lot of us call them active uh, aging groups because they're very, very active. They have a lot of energies and they want to do something for the community. They want to do something for their peers. And that's why we want to set up this ecosystem of support. Caregivers also supporting caregivers. Because sometimes the caregiving support we're looking at is not just financial, it's not just infrastructure. It's also this emotional bit of it. You know? um, like you say, uh, caregivers may face a burnout. Uh, they may have uh, in emotional downtimes. You know? uh, they may need to be around other people who sympathize with them and totally empathize with their situation because they're fellow caregivers. So actually, um, uh, the Ministry of Social Family, together with uh, SG Enable, uh, NCSS, we're looking at you know, alliances for action to bring together uh, these caregivers so that they can have a community of mutual support. Back to you, Eva. 
Thanks so much. Uh, I I, I want to just continue on this conversation around elderly uh, female caregivers because uh, interesting thing that's coming up on the pigeonhole are these comments to Professor Kalyani Mehta to say th thank you very much for you know sharing the plight of these elderly caregivers and the challenges that we face. I was wondering whether you had a comment about why you think that uh, you know uh, that there's this almost like oh thanks for empathizing for our situation and and this sense of maybe feeling uh, seen right or being heard um, what can society pay attention to or be made more aware of in terms of the challenges that uh, female elderly caregivers face uh, are you referring to me yes so in your presentation, as a result of your presentation, there were a few comments to say thank you so much for sharing the plight of, you know, this group of women and the challenges that they face. So I'm curious to why there's this outpouring of uh, sentiment, uh, this feeling of feeling maybe supported or being seen, right, uh, yes. because of what you shared. So I, 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 I totally understand um, the outpouring because... I have seen so many spousal caregivers. Obviously, they are aging. Um, many of them are men or women. And they're struggling with their health issues, their financial issues, and on top of it, the physical tasks of caregiving. But when people talk about family caregiving, they focus on the adult children. Sons, daughters, daughter-in-law, son-in-law. But they tend to forget that because we have this dual income middle sandwich generation, it's the spouses that are carrying a larger share of the caregiving today. And uh, very often it is seen as, well, your marriage is your spouse. It's understood. It's taken for granted, you know, that you'll be the first line of support for the spouse. So I think uh, recognizing the contributions as well as the sacrifices of uh, seniors who are spousal caregivers would make us a better society, I feel. And uh, whether it's at the workplace, because a lot of seniors are working beyond 65. So uh, workplace uh, understanding and consideration for our colleagues in the community as well, uh, just in the pandemic situation, you know, we need to recognize that it's very, very difficult to continue caregiving when we have so many restrictions and many couples are nowadays living on their own. So their children are not with them and they are themselves feeling pretty depressed because they can't see their loved ones. So there's a lot of uh, space that we can uh, explore in uh, showing empathy for those in our midst, particularly senior caregivers. And my heart goes out to those in the low-income low categories because somehow they are really, really struggling. Uh, so perhaps the MOS has something to add, but I would just say the Home Caregiving Grant is very good. It's a good start, but the criteria are very stringent. So a lot of those in the low income category, they may have two ADL deficiencies, but cannot meet the three ADL deficiency uh, benchmark. So they are unable to tap the home caregiving grant. So perhaps uh, MOH could look at that. 
Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Professor uh, Dr. Kiliani, for that um, uh, for your comments. Um, indeed, I think also throughout the many conversations we had, SG Women's Development, we have heard a lot of feedback around caregiving. Um, even though I cannot see the pigeonhole comments myself, um, I hope that also in my earlier comments that I wanted to let our participants who are online with us know uh, that the government appreciates and understands you know, the burdens that the caregivers have to carry. We also know that it is a huge labour of love from them in their care for their family members. Uh, and we also know that we need support. So earlier in the slide I had put up where there are five limbs, the MOH, the government, is actively reviewing the five limbs where there is a need to strengthen certain limbs or where there is a need to ensure a better balance between different limbs. Because all of it is intertwined, you see. You know, ensuring that there is infrastructure to support, ensuring that we have sufficient financial support for different groups of caregivers, uh, ensuring that there is community support, all that has to come together. And we have to find a way of making sure that it comes together in a seamless manner, delivering help to those who need it the most. So yeah. I will say this at this panel, that the government is reviewing the landscape of our caregiving support. We hear you loud and clear. And we hope that when we come up with our solutions, we can also co-create some solutions with the community. And then we can discuss what are the potential bottlenecks and how we can move forward together in a more uh, positive manner to really enable and support our caregivers. Thank you. Thanks, MOS. I think there's a very assuring note to kind of end off this uh, panel discussion. I think the fact that just having a platform like this to explore the points of view and the discussions and the challenges that people are facing is very helpful. And certainly it's not all on government. I think you are the one who brought out on partnership and Benny did talk about how, how the different parts of the system might need to work together. Um, I'd like to just end off inviting each one of you to share um, very briefly um, just uh, maybe what hope that you might have uh, that one hope or one message that you hope participants take away from the conversation today and maybe we can start uh, with uh, Benny first I one hope is that we redefine what it means to build a home uh, we, we are all familiar with the abbreviations BTO. Um, we need to think about building homes that last, BTL. And, and, and with this, I think when we think about marriages and people coming together for a marriage, how do we help them be more prepared? Uh, and, and we talked a little bit about how do we help men redefine their roles, their values, and maybe take up some skills, some uh, areas of competence, develop some areas of competence in what they do. So let's think about BTL as well as BTOs. Thank you so much, uh, Benny. Uh, can I invite Professor Kalyani? Would you have uh, something to share with us? Yes, thank you. I hope that the idea of time banking mm. will be taken up by several ministries so that we can uh, have a uh, sharing of ideas and uh, synergistic uh, 
partnership on this idea because once we invite volunteers to come forward and help, it would be even more motivating, especially for those who either live on their own or live as uh, what I call solo couples, that they are paying forward. So when they need the help, it will be there for them to tap. I think that assurance will really help uh, seniors moving from third age to fourth age. And it is something we can tap our technology for to create such a database. And uh, to me, that is my dream. It will really make my dream come true. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, shall I invite MOS so that she doesn't get the last word? She's been the she's had to like respond to so many of our questions and comments. So maybe I can it's, invite MOS to go first. It's it's okay. Um, going last allows me to synthesize. Oh, really? Okay, <laughs> you said it, yes. not me. So I'm not putting you in the spot. <laughs> so, <laughs> Professor Pauline. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, I just want to reiterate that um, as we you know um, move towards this very important agenda of uh, advancing gender inequality, uh, advancing gender equality, right? Uh, we must be very careful that we do not end up restricting the aspirations of women, right? We, the problem is not in differential of gender roles, but rather it is in the differential valuation of these roles. So an, an addendum to this would be that COVID-19 has resulted in the truncation of many jobs. And many of those jobs are in the supplementary area Right, uh, where uh, there are jobs held by women in uh, temporary uh, kind of contracts, and many of them are older women. So um, I hope that you know we can uh, keep a good eye on this. Many of these women continue to need their jobs, and they're not requiring a huge salary. You know, we're talking about an FMB frontline service, a thousand dollars a month or less, and they, they just need that work to keep them afloat to help them you know, uh, stay connected, stay relevant, feel good about themselves. And COVID-19 has highlighted a lot of inequalities and many of our, our older women fell through the gap, right? Because of the economic situation. So if MOS can summarize on you know, how we can look after this group, that would be awesome. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks wow. very much, Professor. <laughs> All over to you, Isish. <laughs> 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 thanks, thanks. Well, my wish is that we can co-create solutions together. To co-create solutions together so that we can best enable and support the men and women around us so that they have real choices, both at work and at home, to achieve their greatest potential. And I've used the word synergistic partnership right from the start. And I'm happy to hear that that is something that Dr. Kalyani, uh, Professor Pauline, and also uh, Mr. Benny Bong, I think agrees to, agrees with. And I, I believe that it's only with synergistic partnership between men and women, between civil society, government, you know, schools, religious organizations, and all the other institutions that I think uh, Benny had mentioned earlier in his slides that when we come together in synergistic partnerships, that we can best create real choices for the people around us, the people that we care for, uh, and that they will be able to find happiness and satisfaction, both in the workplace as well as at home. Thank you. 
Thank you very much, uh, MOS, and to the rest of the panelists for uh, sharing your thoughts and views with us. To the audience, thank you very much for your questions. I'm sorry if we couldn't get to all of them, but they were very rich, and I do really uh, hope that you get even more out of the conference uh, to come.